Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited you're listening. Um, I have a, uh, a conversation that I had with Will Brown recently to share with you today. Um, so we'll get to that in a moment. Um, first, uh, I want to let everybody know that we're going to be doing some Infinite Play events here in the United States uh, over the course of July. So if you're anywhere near some of these cities, I would love to see you. Um, For all of them, you can just go to movementbrooklyn.com to sign up. Uh, The first one is going to be part of Block 1750's Movement Research Camp in Boulder, Colorado. And that's going on July 12th through the 16th, and I'll be teaching as part of that. Um, Some really great teachers spanning various disciplines and and a couple people who have even been on the podcast here like uh, Mike Fitch uh, who created Animal Flow and Alex Maluski who is um, you know one of the most curious people I've ever met about everything and uh, and of course movement um, he he break dances and uh, you know he's been here on the podcast so he's the owner of Block 1750 um, so yeah those are just a couple of the people who will be teaching but you can go to Block 1750 to to see the full roster and also uh, you could sign up there if you want to um, and then after that uh, on July 18th I will be in Seattle uh, that's a Sunday and the event will start at 10 a.m. Um, we had such a great time being out there a few months ago. We're gonna go back and do it um, and, and reconnect with the, the crew over at the Fremont Gymnasium. Um, if you haven't gone over there and checked out their, their space, I highly recommend it. Um, I think the website is just fremontgymnasium.com. But um, yeah, I'm excited to get back out there, do another event. Um, would love to see some of the, the familiar faces from the last one and also some new faces. Um, yeah, so you can sign up for that. And then the following weekend, we will make our illustrious return back to Brooklyn for a few days. And uh, we'll be doing a two-day event. Uh, the first day is going to be a, a, a whole day event and then the second day is just going to be a two-hour jam and you can sign up for either day or or both um yeah i'm excited about uh uh also seeing some uh some familiar faces there um so yeah if you're if you're anywhere in like the tri-state area please sign up please come out and uh and join us it's going to be a a beautiful fun time and then uh, we'll head back to Florida from there. And then the, the very last Saturday of the month on July 31st, we'll be back in Miami um, to, uh, to do an infinite play there. Um, also a really amazing group. Um, we had so much fun last time. Uh, so yeah, that event is, uh, is at 9 a.m. because it gets pretty hot in Miami. So we're just going to start a little bit earlier. Um, 
but yeah, I would love to see you there. And I also have to say, um, I, when I was in Miami for the last one we did, uh, Nelson Quadris and Chris Espinal, who helped uh, put it together, um, they invited me to be on their their podcast, the Miami Move Cast, and that was really a treat. Um, they record it out of Move, Lift, Live, the gym that they uh, they spend a lot of their time at and, and teach a lot of classes at. And um, Chris has a movement class there. Uh, and that was really wonderful. That podcast is available on Spotify and iTunes and, and all the places. Um, we'll put it up on our website as well. So, yeah, I, I really appreciate those guys. Um giving me some space to uh, share my ideas and the things that I'm curious about. So, um, yeah, take a listen. It's out there. Those are all of my announcements for today. I think that's it. We should get to this. Um, I was very lucky to, uh, to connect with Will Brown recently um a couple not even a couple i know a handful of people who do online coaching with him and have the best things to say not just about his teaching um but also about him as a person and um you know i I, i've seen a lot of his stuff and and um know some of the places where he's gone and spent some time studying and learning and I just had this feeling uh, that we we might be kind of like kindred spirits and uh, yeah I feel like that turned out to be the case um, yeah I'm, I'm excited to uh, eventually get out to uh, his neck of the woods so that we can connect in person um, if you want to check out or reach out to Will. The best ways to uh, to connect with him are at his website, figuringthingsout.com, uh, or you can go to his Instagram. You can follow him on Instagram or message him through Instagram, and it's just at wbrown7. Yeah, this was a really wonderful conversation, and uh, yeah, for the last few days, I've uh, I've had a smile on my face. Uh, thinking about it. So here it is, my, my conversation with Will Brown. I mean, these are all things, right? These are all just like things that we've decided are the way it's like supposed to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's all just kind of human fictions, isn't it? Like, you know, it's all supposed to be hustle and bustle, or it's supposed to be 40 hours a week, or it's supposed to be people living on top of each other and loud noises. And it's kind of like, oh, you know, people have this attitude of like, oh, well, toughen up or something and you know you can't just tell your nervous system to toughen up you're like we're talking about like billions of years of evolution and then like all of a sudden all this noise and things like that Uh uh yeah this is already a a, an amazing conversation to have on on this topic and something that really um dumbfounded me the other day was this this realization that when i'm in london or in a city everything i'm interacting with and looking at was once a human idea right wow and yes and then when you go to nature or even somewhere that's 
coastal and i think one of the the awe-inspiring things of mountains of oceans is this this, this it was never a human idea mm. humans have never manufactured or manipulated this entity really Maybe you could argue, uh, like resource-wise, water has been somewhat um, a resource, but I think it's still like awe-inspiring in the sense of its vastness and its in its its yeah. In a, I, don't, I don't know what the word is. It escapes me. It's it's, it's escaping <laughs> quite literally. The, 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 you can't manipulate them, and I think this is a wonderful thing about being in nature that you don't get in in cities. It's it's a manufactured world, quite literally. I realized that like the, the operations of a city, the way it, it moves and interacts is, is like an organism and it's, and it's complex in that way. But the, the things that we spend most of our time is kind of like putting our hands on and experiencing uh, mm. are, are not organic, right? Mm -hmm. They're all the, 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 the straight lines. They're the more complicated things. And it's almost right. our way of trying to like, I don't know, create like the bastardized version of nature or like what the real thing is because the real thing is, it's almost like with every generation, it becomes more and more overwhelming for people. Yeah. So I, I have a, a master's degree in industrial design, believe it or not. So at, at university, in my, my, in my final year, um, I was studying movement in schools for, for children, actually. And my lecturer hated me because th there's a quite a well-known thing of called ergonomics. In, in design right and it's this like big kind of theory and list of um specific details where um a door handle has to be a certain size because of the average hand size of a human or the height of a step has to be a certain height because of the average gait of a human and it's all based upon averages as if we were all robots mm -hmm. and i was really interested in kind of individual difference and, and how children are all super variable and to encourage them to be somewhat of like a complex being and thinking of like motor learning and, and all these kind of like interesting environments, i.e. nature, I was like, I'm gonna design anti-ergonomics. And so my final project was basically this like attempt to try and design things that were complex and non-linear and interesting and kind of buck the trend. And it was just <laughs> right. a, a fight to the death with my lecturer. Right, it's just, a, it's just a box that you open up that says it's like an ergonomic chair, but it's an empty box, right? It's just, you just, you reach in and it's just imaginary. There's like nothing in there, right? And it's yeah, just, yeah, exactly. it's just like actually just, yeah. I don't know, get on the ground, right? Lay on yes, the floor. Exactly. Yeah. I wish, I wish I did philosophy rather than design because that would have been a perfect, <laughs> a perfect uh, end product. But unfortunately, my degree necessitated something. So, something. so what, it, so what, it, so what did it end up looking like? I had a series of smaller interactive uh, toys, let's say tools. Uh -huh. my, my initial intention was to design a whole space, mm -hmm. but my lecturer quickly deterred me because that was more interior rather than industrial. So he wanted something that was a bit more kind of, um, let's say less towards the architectural side of the scale and more towards the kind of product side of the scale. And so I was designing, I looked also into, um, like sensory experience and kind of how smells or textures affected the nervous system or, or the organism in a certain way regarding learning. So it was really interesting to me to look at like lavender and these types of smells that incorporate or encourage um, memory, for example. And, and, and I, I designed like 
um, games that we could use certain of these of these toys and tools to kind of like help with learning with, with like maths for example compared to English and then it was basically uh, a happy middle ground I would say nice. you know like my lecture was pushing one way and I was definitely pushing the other way mm-hmm. and we had to just settle in the middle of, of, of something but so did you take that degree and, and, and work with it in any way, or is it just something that's like the experience kind of sits in the back of your head as you like move forward with everything else you do now? Good question. It's definitely influenced me with regards to a process. Like I was drilled into this kind of design process through university. And I think this is really valuable to kind of have this, like, I almost see it like a double hourglass and you kind of have an initial kind of like opening an ideation phase and you just kind of throw anything that you want which is very similar to learning a skill it's kind of like very open and very kind of wild to begin with mm-hmm. and then you kind of have a constraint and maybe you, you refine something and you have this kind of conceptualization phase where you you bring an idea into a concept and then you from that specific concept so this may be like you've learned the skill and you've refined it a little bit then you try and apply it into certain contexts so then you kind of bring it out into the world again and you, you add a bit more subjective chaos. And then towards the end, you have some kind of final product and that might be a presentation or a sequence or an improvisation or a, a, you're sharing it with someone else. And then it's really this nice kind of like 3D um, mm-hmm. hourglass. I'm not sure if people can see what I'm doing right now, but probably not. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's like a, it starts with like kind of like a big, I think it's the hourglass shape. It's like big at the bottom and then it kind of narrows in and then gets bigger or gets smaller, mm-hmm. but it's another hourglass and then like a little smaller at the top. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's how I, I see it at least, how I feel it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've thought about this a lot and it's similar, I guess, in varying degrees, but I almost started like the other... I don't know. We can talk about it because I feel like it's similar, but I, I realized like the more time I spend away from like, you know, I had a gym and mm. then I was teaching certain methodologies and then not, and kind of opening everything up and being super interested in like, well, what does it mean? Like if, uh, if I'm not necessarily taking the, the approach of, you know, how do I continue to get people coming back to my well? But if I really wanted to like teach them to like, get the water on their own Mm. and what a, and what a process looks like in that and how we feed that. And I keep coming back and I, maybe it's similar to what you're saying, this idea of like, there's three kind of like pillars. I hate using pillars, but like something. And one of them is maintenance. One of them is technique. And the other one is free play and that there are these like dynamic interaction between the three. Mm -hmm. But I always find that people stop short of the free play because that's almost like, well, I can't, I can't attach words to that. I can't go and talk to my friends about what that is. Mm. So the other two have names, you know, the techniques, the moves, they all have names, or the, maybe even the concepts. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the maintenance, they have words, whatever, squat, chin up, all the things. But the free play is actually our feedback. That's actually where you get to go on stage and like test your material. Right. And how do I know where I should spend time in my maintenance or technique layers if I don't do the free play layers? Right. And if I don't do technique, how do I know what I should be working on in in maintenance as Mm. well? And maintenance only really exists because we don't live the hunter gatherer life anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's how I kind of start thinking about it. And it's not not necessarily a process that can be delivered 
in like a, the same kind of educational setting, but that's how I start thinking about if someone asks me how I should build a practice, I'm like, Oh, this is what I think about. Many things come up for me there. Um, if I kind of like substitute your words for my words, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, so, so I understand them, I think it sits very neatly together. Mm-hmm. Um, the first two layers that you say, um, for me, I would call kind of preparedness and capacity. Mm-hmm in the sense of kind of like maintenance. And what was the first word you said? I forgot already, sorry. Maintenance and technique. Technique, that's the one. Yeah, so I would say kind of like curating the basis. Mm-hmm. And then I would call what you call free play physical intelligence, maybe. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's somewhat of a similar similarity there, at least maybe there's some slight differences. Um, one clear thing that I, I insert between the two and the one mm-hmm. is this subjective layer. Mm-hmm. And this for me is super interesting. And this is why I don't really work with too many people at once because we're dealing with subjects Mm -hmm. and they're super different and individual and, and, and multivariant and wonderful and, and complex. And there needs to be the acknowledgement that what works for someone might not work for someone else, what someone's been through other people haven't. And there's so many details there that are really important and, just giving that space a for if you're the sharer to 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 acknowledge that and to to uh, maybe accept that we're not trying to put people through a meat grinder here i, I think you sit something somewhere similar with me there and we can discuss that but we're we're doing somewhat of a more towards therapy than we are towards like elite sport performance coaching mm-hmm. i would say you know um and then from the individual, the student's point of view, I think this subjective layer is really valuable because it opens up the space of reflection, of, of breaking down maybe certain narratives that they hold of themselves and, and, and seeing the practice not as just a physical thing or as a performative thing, but also as a reflection of themselves or an opportunity to see themselves in different contexts. Because also what we see, I think, just to, to round off that point is that we we are very different in different scenarios. How I am with one person may not be how I am with another person or how I am in my work may be different to how I am in my uh, practice, may be different how I am with my girlfriend or boyfriend or parents. Especially the interesting one is um, the saying, um, Jesus could do perform miracles everywhere except his hometown. And I think this is, again, a really interesting point, but we may be dabbling too many places at once here. So mm-hmm. I'll pass the baton back. No, I, uh, I I think about that a lot. And I, I know that you and I have both gotten to do, um, you know, online work with Tom Wexler. And I'm a lot of what you're talking about reminds me of, of that work, right? That subjective work of like, like, how about I give you opportunities to like make your own discoveries, Mm. right? Here's some space for you to like, you know, potentially reflect on like the things that have like brought you to where you're at or potentially not. And just let those things influence what you're doing, you know, and it's, and it's all great. It doesn't have to like look or be a certain way. It's a totally like subjective exploration. Which I love. And I've got so much value from Tom. Mm -hmm. And I think, this would be an amazing uh, topic to discuss, actually, because we've both had um, that experience, but also we've had, like you said, you were, you had the gym. I think it was Movement Brooklyn, right? And so mm-hmm. it was, it was probably not the stuff that you've been doing lately. 
I would, I would guess. Not that mm. I know, but I, I guess. And I think for me, I've definitely had an evolution from structured strength training that mm. was more towards a performative or um, a certain type of practice, let's say for now, and we can discuss that further. Whereas uh, this kind of more subjective end of the scale is, is different. This, I think you're naming it right now, free play. And I really think there's an interesting conversation to be had about the, the, this dichotomy and where you sit, where I sit, how we see it, um, how we see the interplay, let's say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, for me, for me yeah. I realize, and, and this is how I almost distill it down, where like the thing that we're, that you're describing that maybe each of us were doing a few years ago was about control. Right. It's about, and I would go, I would call it the illusion of control. Right. Um, we're in this place where we own the techniques or we own the movement. We're trying to own our body. We're in a sanitized spaces to varying degrees and controlling. There's a lot of control, but it's the illusion because the world is not there for us to control. Whereas when we're, for me, being interested in free play and improvisation and ultimately life, it totally flips it on its head. And it's actually the practice of not being in control. What does it look, you know, and, and that to me kind of changes the whole landscape when it's like, oh, I'm actually going to welcome uncertainty. How does that affect my practice? Mm -hmm. I can see this. I would... Agree to a certain extent, but also um, what I found with some of my students and myself as well is that the subjective experience is really important in that regard. Because like the subjective intensity, how let's say that the level of chaos someone perceives in the same thing, like we, we could line three people up and stand them on the edge of a cliff and they'd all have a different internal experience. And I think that's really important in this, in this context, because it's like what may seem like invigorating and exciting and, and novel um, for us could be super subjectively intense for some, someone. Um, and I'm really interested in, in, in how that works. Uh, so I think maybe one thing we could say, for example, is the kind of technique, the maintenance that you're speaking about and the, uh, the capacity, the preparedness that, that I, I term, that is, we'll call this the base. So everyone, you know, it's clear, we can just mm -hmm. make it easy. The base um, somewhat helps and informs people to then explore mm -hmm. and to enter that subjective chaos with a bit more openness. Would you agree? Yeah, disagree? yeah I, I agree. I just, I, my, my, my thing is always like, I'll, I'll say to people at this point in where I'm at, if I only have 30 minutes, I'll, I'll, I'll do the free play rather than the maintenance. If mm. I, if I, and, and, and it changes, it can be with certain constraints. It can be, it can be different kinds of communication. It can be communication with a person or an environment. It can be more aggressive. It can be softer, but I'm like, I, I, it, it, it feeds me in that way where I can walk into the other spaces and have information to play with. But I also think that in terms of walking into a world of uncertainty, there's a little bit more of like that preparedness. Mm -hmm. um, 
and you know, again, but it's, it's still, as you said, it's still very subjective, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. where I choose to go with my free play is going to be different from where you choose to go right. from our experiences and where our imagination takes us from past traumas to everything. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's still, it's still subjective. It's not with any sort of knowing, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I and I, and I appreciate that you're, you're speaking with like a language of compassion and empathy. Uh, again, something that Tom and I talked about um, because sometimes I sent the sense that there's like not, there's not enough of that, you know? Mm. Um, and, and that's an important quality. And maybe it's a quality and we can talk about this as well, that I didn't sense as, as much in, in, a, in a rigid construct, right? There's not as yeah. much space for that. I agree. Actually, yeah, interesting you bring that up. I think that's something I found more when doing things like parkour or working with Tom doing, let's say, um, higher level acrobatics than I did in, for example, CrossFit. Yeah. You know, and, and what's interesting there is like the higher the risk, the higher the compassion, maybe, mm-hmm. um, at least in these specific examples. Um, and I really see the value, therefore. Um, I think one key for commitment is safety, like feeling safe. And I think unless you have compassion or empathy around you, it's very hard to feel safe and therefore to commit to something. And I think when we're moving towards subjective chaos, whether you call it um, improvised dancing or a fight or something where you cannot tell what's going to happen, the unknown chaos, there needs to be some level of like feeling safe in the organism. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the hard part is, is if you're coming into a place or from a place of, of unsafe, let's say, these types of modalities, even though we know they're wonderful and we've both experienced that personally, it's super hard to share that wonder. And I think therefore things like um, simple strength training coming from a place of, of compassion and kind of empowerment can actually then eventually open up those doors of, of exploration and, and um, free play, chaos, improvisation, whatever it might be. Um, I feel what I've, what I've experienced so far. I've, I've got a couple of like specific students in my mind where I'm, I'm like, um, I can definitely say for sure. Obviously that's anecdotal, but. Um, There's also, um there's also this thing that I find very empowering is the, and, it, and it's a, such a simple thing, but it's, it's also a really big thing because I think it challenges maybe some of our, our culture, simply the removal of judgment. There's something so freeing there, right? Like people are willing to, I'll often say like when, when, when we're doing like my events, like, you know, we, we have to take risks, but people are quick to think that risks means like do something dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I really just mean like, no, no, no. I just, we just want to surprise ourselves. Right. But there's a stigma around that because it means that you might do something that's 
imperfect in certain circles, whatever, based on whatever the thing is, maybe you didn't fall the way that a parkour athlete would fall, right? Or maybe you didn't do a certain technique the way a grappler would have done it or a dancer or something, but like the reduction of judgment and just saying that there's no wrong answers, mm. right? Whatever you are right now is actually totally perfect. Yeah. Sometimes there's like a huge burden lifted, you know? Oh, I, I'm gonna do a, a, a whatever, a, a roulette, right? It has to be perfect. It's like, no, whatever it is right now mm-hmm. is actually perfect. Whatever you're doing is, is perfect, right? Right? Because there's a yeah. huge burden of judgment that I think people often carry. Mm. I think this is a really beautiful point. But I also, I found it to be really limiting, actually, in myself. Mm-hmm. And I very much agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's my teaching style. It's, it's very much like I, I really don't really give a beep if you put your pinky finger there or there. Or if you, you know, the, 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 like, I'm, I'm not the governing body of gymnastics that says you have to keep all limbs straight and point your toes no matter what you're doing. Like, we're not in it for that right um these standards can be useful to a certain degree but everything's useful to a certain degree and then you have to disregard it and then live your life but i'm getting away from my point um (laughs) when it comes down to um letting go of judgment i think it's such a wonderful thing um but what i've what i've come to or how i view right now what i'm sharing is is on a sliding scale and what I would call on one end is play. And we can call this um, kind of, as you've just described, letting go of judgment, you are exactly where you are and that's where you need to be, the kind of like um, the power of now, we can call it maybe, and then just gratifying exactly what you need and want in that given moment. Mm-hmm. I think this is like such a wonderful thing that we're missing so much in, in, in society. But on the other side, I see this, um, let's call it practice, this um, delaying gratification for tomorrow, this curating tools to be more free tomorrow, saving your money rather than spending it all when you get it. These types of like, we can call them like doing acts, let's say, like um, uh, human doings versus human beings. You can, I think that may be more of a, um, a better explanation maybe for people listening being being the playful nature the 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 being in the forest maybe just uh, embracing the moment compared to the human doing in in society who is working for tomorrow getting the degree saving their money for the mortgage whatever it might be and i see what i'm doing what i'm sharing what i'm practicing somewhere on this scale and it's changing depending on the needs and, and and where i am where the person is and I really see this as a useful tool because it doesn't mean that we're static and we're polarized like the bloody political uh, situation. It's very much, okay, we can be there and we can drop judgment and we can just improvise and play. And then we had this wonderful dance jam in, in one of the London Movement Group sessions last weekend where we just literally, we called it enjoying what we have. Mm-hmm. And that's wonderful. But then in order to have something you have to somewhat delay gratification and do the, maybe the hard thing or do something in order to get there. Mm-hmm. But there is always enough as well. 
And that's the really hard part, mm -hmm. I find. And I want to pass on to you. Oh man, I don't know. You just, you said it so well. In some ways you're actually describing my, my, my maintenance technique and free play in, in, in a way that I think I might even start using the way you were talking about that. <laughs> Cause you're also saying something that I, that, that I mean, is really a step further. We're actually talking about what I think is like this beautiful dance between like the ego and the unconscious, right? Like, because I've said this before, people always like, as you said, people go to extremes, right? I'm like, I'm a liberal or I'm a conservative or I'm a this or I'm a that or I'm sympathetic or, I'm, and I, or I need to be parasympathetic, you know? And then we go so far as people nowadays very like attached to identity, right? Mm -hmm. And then you have this whole school who's like, you know, the people are like, I need to like dissolve the ego and just be, you know, a floating leaf or something but like you know we 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 have this like we've evolved to this place where we have this these two things that dance sometimes we're a little more of one sometimes we're a little more of the another and then there's this kind of place where they're like playing in between and that's what you, I, I imagined it as you were like holding your finger drawing mm -hmm. the line there with your spectrum and that's kind of that thing where it's like okay well we we go to this place where like the ego is like an observer once in a while only to come back and let the ego be like, all right, let's plan something. Mm. Let's like organize and like decide how we want to do it. And then, okay. And then we kind of like move to the other one. And then sometimes like there's this space in between where they're kind of like mm -hmm. dancing and figuring out what, what it looks like. Um, right. And I mean, I also believe that like the more we, nothing is in isolation, right? If we do something, if we go and have a dance jam under the roof of uh, the London movement group, right? <laughs> That's not isolated to right there. Whatever we have in that moment, we carry with us into like our lives. So I think to myself, mm. like the more we kind of welcome this dance in these places, the more it can potentially transcend into how we like, mm. how we are with our communities and with our families and, and societies, right. right? This is amazing. This is actually, when I was younger, this is how I managed to conceptualize God. Really? In a very, very, in, uh, if we go a bit deep here. Yeah, when I was reflecting on kind of like, what does it really mean to be omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent? What, what are these things? And I, I kind of put it down to this, um, two things. What, what you just described, what you carry with you, and the burden of you being the only person knowing exactly what's going on or exactly what you've done before. You know, it's like you're the only person that knows if you put the dirty dishes in back in the drawer, if you didn't wash them up. You're the only person that knows, you know, if you lied or if you uh, you you didn't do anything as genuinely as you could have. And that's a burden you have to carry. And I think it works then, but therefore in both ways. And that, that's the only thing that I can conceptualize for myself in my own experiences when I was younger, at least, as to be something like godlike. Mm -hmm. Wow! Wow! <laughs> That's heavy. <laughs> mm -hmm. As a crazy anecdote, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's that's fascinating. It's fascinating that you were thinking about that at such a young age too. Well, I say younger; it was like still early twenties. So. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, still then early for most people. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. some people get their yeah. entire life and haven't gone there. I think. That's 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 something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I mean, the, but these are like, I think some of the things that we're talking about, you know, are the things that like, 
would have been handed down to us through storytelling and myths, not necessarily religion, maybe, but like in, in groups from elders, from people who had like the experiences that came before us. Mm-hmm. And, and we would have these stories to like do these things. I mean, maybe we're talking about meaning, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, some of these practices in the right, co- or in, I shouldn't say right, in certain contexts, I think have the potential to like address some of these stories, mm-hmm. right? Certainly. And I think that there, yeah. there, there's a magic there to that. And people don't need to articulate it. You know, sometimes like if people come and do my event and they just say, man, that was really fun. I'm like, yeah, it was fun. It was great. And then some people might be like, oh, you know, they want to talk about like Alan Watts after. And I'm like, yeah, that's great too. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, I think that there's something special about some of the storytelling in there. Yeah, really. And I think it's definitely an experiential thing. It's something Mm -hmm. you have to experience to pass on. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the problems with, um how people are perceiving religion right now is it's not from an experiencing point of view it's from a um i say this and you just follow it mm-hmm. and i think this is uh, um i was listening to stephen fry recently and he was talking about the difference between an empiricist and a um, rationalist and i really liked his point of view on being he'd rather be an empiricist which is someone that experiments and explores and experiences rather than a rationalist who contemplates and thinks and so this leads really interestingly into the work of um um sir ian mcgilchrist if you heard of this guy he's yeah. not a search i think it's just ian mcgilchrist um the divided brain it's mm-hmm. people are going to turn off now no the brain isn't split into it's not the common misconception of the left brain does one thing and the right brain does another thing and they don't work together. It's more the idea that the brain works in synergy, but the operating systems of, of both are slightly different. Um, and I think it plays really interestingly into this conversation of play versus practice. Mm-hmm. So I'll try, I'll try and formulate it just to give you a brief overview. So what um, Ian McGochrist is suggesting is that the left brain is somewhat specifically focused on tasks and it likes let's say boxes we'll just say that the right brain is somewhat generally aware of the space around and doesn't like boxes okay so we can put this into context if i was searching on the forest floor for berries and i was rustling through i have to be very narrowly focused rustling through sticks and twigs and leaves trying to find berries that have fallen on the floor and had to be very specifically focused because I can't eat a poisonous one. I can't eat a stick. That's for sure. I can't eat a stone. Had to be very clear. On the other hand, I can't just only do that one task because a predator can walk right up behind me and eat me and I'm done. So I have to have also this general awareness. So it seems like a very obvious kind of evolutionary trait, let's say. And then that's how we've come to be now, except since post-industrial revolution, what, 100 and something, 20 years ago, we've now had this exponential growth of, of me, uh, man-made ideas, cities, that we're interacting with, but we still have these operating systems. Mm-hmm. So we have this kind of playful, open, being, right brain operating system, and this kind of uh, 
quite narrowly focused doing type left brain. And what he's hinting at is that since the industrial revolution, we've got somewhat of a narrowly focused, let, let's say dominance to think in a type of thought uh, that the left brain may give us. Now, I'm gonna, I'm very much paraphrasing, put this into my own words, so don't, maybe if you're listening, don't take this as Amagokus's words, they're very much mine um, and my probably misconceptions because I'm not, very intelligent in this regard. But anyway, um, what's interesting is that if we take this idea of practice, therefore, this kind of constrained delaying gratification, this um, saving your money, um, uh, getting a degree, this seems very much like left brain type activity. And that dominates society right now. You know, it says, Go to school, climb the ladder, if you, if you know the Alan Watts uh, analogy, and, and, and get to the top. And it's like, well, if you get to the top, then you've missed what, what the, the journey. And, and I think what's important, I think what you're sharing very wonderfully, to get to my point, is that this free play is definitely this right-brained type activity. It's open, it's, it's non-judgmental, it's aware of stuff we don't know and the chaos of the world and acceptance of that. And that's really wonderful and important for us. And it's almost like what you were saying before, passing down stories from tribes, they definitely had that experience of both sides. They didn't just have the, um, maybe the, 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 the modern kind of religious point of view, which is like very left brain, very constrained, very, this is the rule, this is not the rule, this is right, this is wrong. Mm -hmm. And more of a story of experience. Mm -hmm. Is that somewhat comprehensible? Because it was in my mind. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like um, I, maybe it was like Taleb or something who who said it in one of his books was like the idea that like like I don't know like the history history is written by the losers or something like that. Where mm -hmm. it was like maybe that's not it. It's just that like the people who are out there experiencing are too busy to write the books about it. Mm. Some, it was something like that. Maybe I, 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 maybe I, should, I was totally wrong about the Taleb thing, but it was someone who said something about the idea that like the people who are experiencing are too busy experiencing to write books about it. And it's like the, mm. the very logic, reason-driven people who are the people who are there like writing the books. Yeah. So like yeah, yeah. we can read all the books, but we're just getting the knowledge and we're not getting our hands on like the experience or even the people who are out there experiencing. Right. Right. We got to like go and like be with it and do it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And this was definitely Taleb talking about the idea that so much of like the, the things that exist in the knowledge space and especially in like news and stuff, it's just, we think it's important, but it's very trivial, right? It's mm -hmm. like so much of it is just like, it, it could go in one ear and out the other, you know? entertainment you know he points out like makes a lot of sense because you're like oh at least i know it's entertainment yeah right. but a lot of the other time stuff we spend kind of absorbing into us is trivial where it's like our experiential knowledge has the potential to be really vast and it's the stuff that like kind of prepares us to be in in the realms of uncertainty mm. i don't know about you but i really find and this is a point that i've been experiencing the whole of corona and the more my uh, the input of negative information mm -hmm. is is put on me, mm -hmm. the less I'm willing and able to experience deeply. 
like myself. And it's almost like I'm so overwhelmed with, um, let's say, external inputs. Mm-hmm. I can't take in my internal uh, inputs because they're not really outputs. Maybe they are, let's say for now, outputs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, or like to be too explorative because it's almost like I'm so, uh, like um, we have words like uh, weighing you down, you know, mm-hmm. like sayings like this. Like it's very much like a very physical saying. Like it's you feel weighed down by these these uh, you know, headlines and stories and awful things that you should feel empathy for. Mm-hmm. And it's either you do feel empathy for things that you literally cannot control or you feel horrible for not having empathy because that's the, the common idea. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's then looked down upon if you're not educated or you're not listening to the news. Mm-hmm. But it's also looked down upon to listen to the news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the misinformation so i think there's a really horrible and interesting at the same time dichotomy or dichotomy is the wrong word um problem we have right now which is we're lacking awareness of our internal environments and we have an over awareness of external stuff that we literally cannot control and it's causing what Daniel Liebman would call a mismatch disease, mm-hmm. where our organism isn't matched to the environment's demands. Yes. Well, be, I don't know. It's almost sometimes it's almost as if we've like adapted exactly to, or or we've we've adapted exactly. Unfortunately, it's a poor adaptation to like what our current environment asks of us. But it's almost like we're we have these systems that as you pointed out, are like built to something that we were doing thousands of years ago, but we have this like technology that's happening now that we're like unprepared for, Mm. you know, even right now, our interaction is super limited, right? Like we have these like complex nervous systems that are supposed to be having their own sort of dialogue and we're getting maybe a little bit of it through our like interaction Mm. um, through this, but like, this is, this is not, what we're, what we're, what, what, what evolution has brought us to. So the idea of like, you know, the idea of like news stories and things about things that are happening on different parts of the planet, like the idea of even truly understanding like our place in like that way, we might not even be there. No, You know, like someone, you know, I talked to somebody and they're talking about like, health and these and that and whatever and then talked about like wanting to fly to australia and i was like i mean listen like if we're talking about health like i don't know i mean getting on a plane and flying 12 time zones like if we, we could go so far as to say like we're not prepared for that we haven't evolved to that you know <laughs> that's i think um have you heard of a guy called jamie wheel he's really interesting uh he rose the flow genome project i know the oh did he write um what is it called? The, the rise of Superman? Uh, something, yeah. Becoming exactly Superman something. or something? That's it, yeah, something like this. He's got a, a recent one out this year called Recapture the Rapture. Yeah, I read his one, I think that was bef- just before that. What's it called? What, but they're about flow states. Uh, essentially, yes. And he, yeah. he's very interesting. And he talks a bit about um, uh, Logos and Kronos mm-hmm. um, and kind of the spoken word. Mm-hmm. And, and going back to your point about tribes and the value of, of, of spoken word, I think 
when you're, let's say your awareness of the world is limited to the spoken word and, and literally what we have right now, which is me and you and our past experiences and sharing them with the other person mm-hmm. and then perceiving what's going on in that other person. Are they happy? Are they sad? Are they nervous? Are they angry? What did I do to affect that? That's kind of where we've evolved to. Mm-hmm. But now what happens is you have a conversation and rather than just having you and I, we have a couple of smartphones, which is basically anything at our fingertips. It's also an escape. If your, uh, if your reaction or your um, mode of being is not what I expected or wanted, I can just escape to my, to my device. We're not really getting that same kind of like uh, resonance or vitality or a connection to people that we would have done. Mm-hmm. And he's really interesting because he's talking about basically the lack of this and the overuse of then just words mm-hmm. that are meaningless in that sense to us, like monotonous news reporters reading headlines that are just caused to, to, to create this emotional response. And then time just getting more, he calls it fatty time almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being the idea of Kronos uh, being the idea of like time is going quicker and quicker and quicker because we've got more and more information per second thrown at us. Mm-hmm. Whereas before we might go a whole day without speaking to someone or uh, doing nothing, but you know, watching clouds go by or mm-hmm. watching rain spatter down. Mm-hmm. And now we have two minutes of that and we're like, Oh my God, I'm going crazy. I'm so bored. I can't deal with it. What's going on. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because we're like, it's almost like we're deeply overstimulated in ways that are unnatural to us. And we were supposed to be highly stimulated from sensory experiences all the time, but that's actually been totally sanitized. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I've, I've brought this book up. It's, it's one of my favorite books I read this past year. And I always make a point to be like, I don't, I can't recommend it only because like, I realize I should only recommend like shorter books that are kind of palatable, but it's a great book. It's called (laughs) Understanding Media by Marshall McLuhan. And the subtitle is uh, The Extensions of Our Nervous System. And he wrote the book in the 60s and he talks about some stuff that is very poignant for today. But the idea is the thesis is the medium is the message, right? So the medium, the technology is how it changes the environment, which is psychologically or socially and points out that every piece of technology is an extension of our nervous system, right? So it's actually creating more space between us and the actual experience, right? Mm-hmm. In our bodies. So right, right now you and I doing this over zoom is an extension of our eyes and ears, right? A house is an extension of our skin. Shoes mm-hmm. are an extension of our feet, but we always, we keep kind of creating these like extensions right but we have this nervous system that is still to this day evolved to a point to actually be feeling it all right but we're actually kind of, we're, we're we're depriving it right mm-hmm. and in some way mm-hmm. and then and in some ways overstimulating certain parts that we haven't necessarily prepared for mm-hmm. right like the eyes uh-huh and it's uh it's fascinating i think that sometimes that plays into like the crisis that like we struggle with and that we feel Mm. and can't always put words to right i'm i'm 
hesitant to comment because I haven't read it, but one one thing I would say that what came to my mind was, um, I'm not sure if it's overstimulating or like specifically stimulating. That yeah, that's a good way so of putting it. If, you know, for example, the eyes, we're, we're very, um, we're specifically stimulating close up, bright lights, small, um, minute details. Um, and we're never really stimulating open, vast kind of scenes with little minute detail. Mm-hmm. For example, like looking at a landscape, mm-hmm. looking at a mountain range or the, the coastline or something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's, there's very little of that. And if, if I think, okay, what would we have been doing if we were hunting? There'd be a lot of scanning landscapes and a lot of that stimulus that we just literally don't have. Mm-hmm. Um and I can think of a few more for, for the nervous system. So I think it's interesting to maybe say specifically stimulating rather than overstimulating. Yeah. Because overstimulating makes me think about like um, avoiding rather than like having the power to do something adverse. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. The, other, the other pieces, and I, I picked this up in um, this book, The Eyes of the Skin was the idea. And, and also he kind of references this in a, in understanding media because he kind of point out that like, it wasn't until the day that we like created the written word and probably specifically the printing press that the eyes were actually not the dominant sense was not our dominant way of like experiencing the world. And the eyes are very distant, right? Like we, as you even pointed out, like it's almost like a newer phenomenon that the eyes are about seeing things that are very close to us. Yeah. Right. But it used to be like, we'd be like looking at the landscapes and seeing further away mm-hmm. and think, but we would really be using our ears to yeah. like be with the things that are close, which is almost um, touch because it's like moving the, the hairs in our ears. Yeah, right. And then we'd be using our hands to like feel the things, mm-hmm. you know, feel the soil, feel the trees and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So we've, yeah, we've like really flipped this thing upside down, like created, it, it, you know, it's interesting you say it, we created this like real dominance on the eyes, but then also like done something to them that is also not what we've prepped to, you know, that like yeah. everything is like within five feet. Yeah, really. And I think our eyes are very deceptive. Mm-hmm. And I, even, even today, I think the ears are, at least from my understanding, the first to develop, are the first dominant sense to develop, let's say. Hmm. And it's interesting that you say flipped upside down because obviously then proprioception comes into the picture because um, uh, let's say our, our proprioceptive awareness comes from the ear as well. Like where you are in space, if you go upside down or not, or, or if you're tilting or how your balance is. So I think there's these two senses that hearing the sounds around you and, and proprioception are huge in our development. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, they're, they're still, I think they're still going to be our first dominant sense. But then, yeah, the eyes completely take over and they're taking over more and more and more rapidly looking at iPads, phones for kids, games for kids. And mm-hmm. again, that specific stimulus isn't, isn't very good. I would think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, we're, I'm definitely not an expert here. So I'm, I'm you know, figuring things out is my company. So, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but it, but it makes me think, you know, when we think about like, you know, I, I, I bring up, I, sometimes when I talk to people on here, I have to remind myself that everybody has their own kind of like perception of like what 
being a generalist is. And when I think of movement, I'm like, well, and I keep thinking like, well, what does it mean to be a generalist? I keep kind of like tinkering with it and, and wondering, and I'm obviously curious what your, what your thought mm-hmm. is, but I, I, I keep returning to certain things and, and so much of it has to do with like sensory experience, you know, like if I want to like navigate uncertainty mm-hmm. and I have this like ability to like feed my innate intelligence through my senses. And that's like, that's our magic in some ways, like a part of our magic, you know, mm-hmm. we, we, we should have more of that. You know, I spoke to Yosef, a fighting monkey, Fusek, and he just talked about his interest in, in being a, what it's like to be a hunter or being hunted. And that's <laughs> that idea, right? That like, there's like an aliveness of the senses and they're all happening. Mm, interesting. Um, regarding the word generalist, I, I don't think I've ever used it, at least not that I can remember. I, I, I don't see it as something that I... Um, resonate with I, I think using that I um I've always been super avoidant of labels mm-hmm. um I, I think you can kind of see from these kind of like ideas I've looked at that it's very much a sliding scale mm-hmm. figuring things out it's very much a continual process mm-hmm. and whenever I call myself something I almost get this feeling like I've stopped a process I've labeled myself now I've boxed it I've I've, I've lost the magic in whatever it was and so uh, what I've been reflect upon most recently was something like, I'm just trying to experience myself and then the people around me in the world. And that's enough. Mm. And uh, I had a few problems with, with yeah, certain of the, you know, names that people coin. And I, I just prefer Will, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, you know, that that's definitely the the basis of what I'm sharing with with students is is I don't want you to be a something mm-hmm. I want you to be you mm-hmm. and I'm here to help you through my own experience to to help you increase your own experience mm-hmm. you know like um maybe this is a bit of a jump but I, I I'm really fortunate to have a lot of students stay with me for a long time um and it opens up kind of like further doors. Um, for example, a lot of my students um, in the past year, especially, have been asking for like, what's next regarding like, okay, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm your online student or I'm, I'm your student now for, for like a year, two years. Um, and, you know, I see other people doing like mentorships and they're doing like how to be a better teacher and all these things. And I always said no and I always put it off and I always declined because I always felt like I was never ready for that. And I didn't have, in hypothetical speech marks, my own method, or I didn't have everything figured out. And then as soon as I accepted that, okay, no, I'm on a continual process and I always will be, well then it's kind of ironic to then try and think of a process that's gonna be set in stone and, 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 and somewhat rigid. Mm-hmm. So what I've been doing is reading a lot into therapy and conversation and, and holding space, let's say, and these mentorship style things started to open up and it wasn't therefore then me saying, here's the right answer that I figured out for you. And therefore you have to copy what I do and you'll have it all figured out as well. 
It's me saying, let's work together and have this conversation and I'll help as much as I can by providing, you know, my theories, my ideas, my experiences for you to then analyze. But first and foremost, the purpose is for you to figure your own things out. And I'm more so holding a, a safe space for you to just like be wrong and fail and, and ask and query. And, and that's, that's what we're here for. Yeah. And it's actually been so wonderful to have that opportunity to, to not be like, okay, I'm the sage on the stage. It's like, no, I'm the guide on the side. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. You know, and, yeah. And it's, it's so special and it's, it's such a, such a, yeah, it's really, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, um, I don't know what you're talking about is something that I wish for more of this idea of like, kind of like, facilitating curiosity Mm -hmm. right it's a little bit of like what it is right like Mm -hmm. you're not you know teaching it's like you're facilitating it's like creating opportunities for somebody else to like learn and be curious and ask questions and that the questions are okay because i've been in spaces where like the questions are not okay or or you're scared to ask a question right me too and And this is horrible it's horrible (laughs) <laughs> it's you know like we're, we're, you know as you said like we don't know where where anyone is coming from and to assume that anyone has like any sort of like similar experience to us is like that's that's impossible right right so like what seems like a stupid question to me might be like the most important question someone else has ever asked right so that means they're all important questions and it may not even be the question itself it may be the process of standing up for something or mm-hmm. or you know being heard in a group mm-hmm. you know a lot of people maybe were the kid at school that didn't put the hand up because they're afraid of being wrong or failing and mm-hmm. actually if a person that had those experiences as a child then in a group has that willingness to then still do that that's amazing that's a huge step on that person not because they might learn the skill better but mm-hmm. because they can implement that in their lives yeah and, and that's really special um, a question came to my mind that I thought would be interesting to kind of flip the table. Okay. Um, I always, I always like when this happens because it's <laughs> rare. So it's an exciting moment. <laughs> so you're, you're, you're teaching a lot of, we've spoken about kind of chaos and, and play and, and, and all this stuff. And what I'm interested in is how you facilitate failure hmm. and what failure looks like. Mm-hmm. And how you communicate that it's quite an open question so i feel free. yeah i uh i'm very quick to say that there are like that all answers are right answers and there are no wrong answers right that whatever happens is is what's supposed to happen right here right now and and that's great right um i don't i don't really talk about failure too much i think i'm just more just like we're not putting names to anything. So if there's no names, there's nothing to fail at, mm-hmm. you know? And, and maybe that's what it is. I think that like, when there's a name on something, then you know when you didn't do that name, mm-hmm. right? And for what I'm doing right now, and, and I always make a point that I'm like, what I'm doing is just a piece. You know, I wrote a blog recently being like, this is not the answer. This is actually just something to add to like the movement soup. It's not, <laughs> it's not the thing. 
but I do think that there is a space for being like, hey, like we're gonna exist in the world of like no words. And, and you know, it makes me think of um, a few books that I've read where it talks about like, you know, that kind of reduction of judgment, right? You know, like when we know what something is, we also know when, it, when it's not that. Mm -hmm. So there's almost, there's almost, it's impossible to fail when there's not a word to put to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what it is. Awesome. I actually came to a very similar conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my students uh, online in the group have this kind of idea of no moves. We call mm -hmm. it the no moves practice. Mm -hmm. And it's very much this idea of kind of taking away the boxes of that's a car wheel. Mm -hmm. And you point your toes and you keep your legs straight and you go in a straight line. And that, that's what, and if you don't go in a straight line, if you don't point your toes, it's not a car wheel. And actually accepting that let's embrace this time to explore without those names, without those boxes, without those moves, this can be a very wonderful exploration. But then it leads to the next question is, well, what do you do then? Because if there's no moves practice, then you could just sit and do nothing. Mm. And so after, I mean, I have to credit Tom here, um, we did a lot of work together last summer in Barcelona and it was wonderful. And then one of the things he was talking about was weight shifting and, and kind of the things laying below. And what I became really interested in when I got my, uh, when I inched my back was okay, what's, what can I still do? And there's still things that are always present in any movement, whether we have a name for it or not. And it's shifting weight as one example. And so, so what I'm trying to say is there's always something that we're doing. No matter what you call it, there's always some basic things that gravity is always going to be pulling on us. No matter if you're doing a backflip or a non-movement, mm -hmm. you know? And so I guess my question is, if you do propose um, the, the no words type practice that you, you suggested, how would you frame the intention to enter it? without the being like an overwhelming chaos of I can literally do anything. Right. That's a really big problem. Yeah. Well, I think that it's ultimately like it's still working in within certain constraints and no matter where we're at, there are constraints, you know, sometimes the constraint is that we're, you know, just simply you and I are walking up a mountain. Suddenly like our improvisation of walking up the mountain is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. So there's inevitably constraints and, and that's what, that's what the games are. So like there are certain constraints to our conversation. So like, that's the game, right? It's, um, you know, we, we're, we're constantly moving through life, right? And there's in every step of the way, there's some sort of game that we're navigating, whether it's like walking to the car or emptying the dishwasher, like it's all, there's like a constraint to every game. So it's more about like, you know, navigating the the game right um as opposed to just walking you know every time being like it's totally open <laughs> go right mm. which i've experienced you know i've experienced that in different movement places and i come from like a theater background so like we've gotten to do some things like that and uh, that's also an interesting game to play um yeah. but when we talk when you talked about 
that feeling of safety, that's where that can get very challenging. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But I found that in the context of a game and the addition of there are no wrong answers, people are very quick to like become like four-year-olds and just like mm. the good times roll, you know? And it's yeah. a very fascinating thing to like watch unfold. Okay. Next question. Mm-hmm. Do you see there being limits to this? Hmm. What, well, what that, you, yeah, yeah, what no, do you sorry. mean? It's a very shitty question. Sorry, mm-hmm. I shouldn't swear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I think I have chance. it. I think I have it set up on Spotify <laughs> where it says that it's an explicit podcast. <laughs> um, um, if you only did this type of practicing, which is do whatever the hell you want. If you want to act like a four-year-old, that's absolutely fine. Do you see limits to this? And if so, where? And if not, why? Um, I mean, I think our limits are our imaginations. You know what I mean? And that's why if we practice by ourselves, we're like inevitably pretty limited, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, that's why it's important to me that like we're with people, we're in different environments, you know, like uh, I only do it outside and it's because there's inevitably something new that happens when you're outside. Like, you know, we've done them in the snow and we've done them in like rain in, in uh, rainstorms and so we're in the mud and everything. And it's not like a let's toughen up thing. It's like, oh, like there's new information that we can't talk about that mm. come out of that, you know? So the limits are the ones that we, I think we put on it. You know, I only work with myself or I only work with this one other person that only, only the two of us only ever train together. And it's mm. only in this specific environment, but I'm like, if the environments are changing and we're always getting to like be with different people and we're all bringing in new information that we're going and getting from other people, then it's inevitably dynamic and alive. You know, yeah. like even if it's the same game, the game is actually changing because we're using different or ingredients sourced from different places in the soup. Mm. So it's always going to taste a little different. This is why I think parkour as a practice is so rich. Yeah. Because you, you can even just practice one, let's say, move or name mm-hmm. and just go to different environments, different places in, in different cities and have different variations of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, um, do you know what a tic-tac is? No. It's uh, like you'll run and you'll like, uh, how can I explain this? You'll take off on one foot mm-hmm. and the other foot will tic-tac off mm-hmm. of an object mm-hmm. and propel you in another direction okay to land on something mm-hmm. right so it's like let's say you want to turn 90 degrees to your left um and you have a tree in front of you and a wall to your left so you're going to tic-tac off the tree to the wall on your left mm-hmm. so you run at the tree you'll you'll stride off the left foot your right foot will will tic-tac off the tree and you'll, you'll, you'll pro- hopefully propel yourself left onto the wall but those objects, the tree and the wall, can be interchanged with anything. A lamppost, a wall, a, a car if you're brave, uh, a tire, uh, you know what I mean? Like a, a different type of wall, a different type of tree, a different height of wall, a different height of whatever, a different temperature in the day. Maybe it's hot, maybe it's raining. There's so many uh, data points that you can take in 
mm-hmm. and so many things you can gain from that the angle of, of where you prepare yourself is it 90 degrees is it back on yourself is it slightly forwards there's so many things you can work on here mm-hmm. the distance the speed you enter it and this is really valuable i think listen i totally agree i think you're you're, you're bringing up something that's like you know i mean you asked the question first so all the credit in the world, but I think you're bringing, you are bringing up something so valuable because I think that there's sometimes this like myth of like a movement monk who's like alone in, in a gym, like a flat surface, same temperature, same lighting all the time. And like the, the, we are, we should be having relationships deeply with ourselves we should be having relationships deeply with other people and with different environments, you know, and it, and it's all just different forms of, of communication. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, you're putting it so beautifully that it's like, if you go and do the same move in different places, and also if you're doing it with other people and doing it, seeing what they're doing as they do it, mm-hmm. all of this like feeds that, that thing. Mm-hmm. In, a, in, in a magical way. It's, I mean, I do, I do jujitsu and I think of ju- whenever people talk about parkour, jujitsu feels very similar, right? But as opposed to like the environment, it's a person. Um, yeah. But it's like, yeah, you know, sure. you know, pick, pick the move, pick the, um, the, the pass, the guard pass. Mm-hmm. Everybody is different. Every person's life experience up until that moment is going to frame their reaction in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, for sure and, 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 and all we're doing is just collecting information so we can make better predictions right exactly exactly and this is the value mm-hmm. in in variety mm-hmm. what would you say to someone that spends all of their training time in a gym mm-hmm. but seems healthy happy and content mm-hmm. and maybe gets these communicative things elsewhere because i can think of a few people and i think it's it's i i completely wholeheartedly agree with you i think that the embracing of uh the unknown the mm-hmm. the variety and the, the the vibrancy let's say mm-hmm. of life is wonderful but i can definitely think of some people that i've known like past students and, and people that are maybe prominent figures in the in the fitness industry that do a lot of practice and zero i asked one publicly recently and he said he did zero play mm-hmm. actually but then fuels that in other areas of life mm-hmm. what do you think i mean i think it's i think it's fine you know yeah. i also think that like life is change and like you know none of us really learn well from like getting spoon-fed advice from anyone else that it's like we we have this magic of like learning things on their own but if someone like that were like, oh, hey, you want to do something? I'd be like, cool, like come and meet me in the park and I'll also come and do your thing, you know, but never, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I, I think it's also, you know, I feel like a, a theme for our conversation here is, is like one of compassion, right? I think that, that mm-hmm. you and I share that mutually, um, at least like the, the wish for it. Um, so even in that circumstance, I'm like, well, the best I can do is like have compassion, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. 
you know, I see something one way, they see something another way and neither are right or wrong. This is just where our experiences like brought us to. And, yeah. and neither of us will be the same in five, 10 years or even tomorrow, you know, like mm -hmm. we are, we are going to change, you know? So I, I, I think it's, but I also think that's the reason it's important to like, if we have them, if we have like strong convictions and values, not necessarily be preachy about them, right? Because that happens quite a bit. <clears throat> but it's like, creatively, how do I sprinkle them in to, to what I am presenting, you know? And it doesn't need to be explicit. It can be implicit. Right. Right. So um, I've said that. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I completely off. Please continue because I, I love that what you said. Um, and that's why, you know, if I if I wish for a world that was more welcoming of uncertainty and welcoming of surprise, and not trying to control everything, and had compassion, which means that people are more citizens than individuals and things like that, then you know, all I need to do is take my like movement boat and aim it at playfulness and just let that kind of be like the presentation. Um, and that's why I, I'm fascinated by people. And I think this is something that I saw in what you were presenting in ways, cause you were talking more about concepts and not having identities and things like that. But I, I think that I, I, I feel drawn to people who are presenting things that are messages and not just content. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. What I was going to rudely interrupt you with <laughs> was, <laughs> um, was the realization I had that um, if I look at people that I value, it's something I reflect upon each month is like, what do I value in certain people? Um, it's like genuineness. Mm -hmm. And I think what, what humans do well is they notice genuineness and they can really feel it. Maybe not, like you said, explicitly, but implicitly. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're genuinely sharing whatever you value, mm -hmm. people will resonate with that. And then it's perfect because it's up to them to then embrace or decline. But at least we know that it's coming from a genuine place. And therefore, it's really hard, I think, for... Uh, a sane human to get aggressive or angry or or um, like if you if you watch any um, debates with Jordan Peterson there's rarely any kind of like raised voices and shouting and aggression it's very much like many times people have differing opinions but they're coming from a place of compassion and learning and 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 I think on the whole warmth mm -hmm. on the whole I think this is wonderful for, for you know, to, to navigate social media is um, I really just try and share openly and, and, and honestly and, and whatever I feel, because I'm not sure about you, but when you're sharing on a public platform and you're in this position of a teacher, someone of, um, let's say someone trying to share um, in quote marks knowledge, mm -hmm. um, if it's not done from a genuine place, it's really hard for me at least to to value or um 
to enjoy to engage with engage i think is a better word there because i think we're both on the same kind of path of, of engaging with other people as a as a main point of practice um yeah i'm gonna stop there because i'm i'm, I'm going on like three different tangents there yeah i'm I mean, I want to hear more about how you navigate that space because I, you, I mean, you have a, a pretty substantial voice at the moment in in the movement space, whether you realize it or not. I mean, I've ran into a number of people and friends who who do online coaching with you and stuff, and that's that's a tricky place to be. Um, and I, you know, when it comes to some of the stuff you're talking about, I. I come back so much to this conversation I had with Steven Jenkinson on here and he wrote a book called Die Wise. I think it's a really powerful book. I think there's a lot there. Um, but, you know, we, we got into this discussion about acting as an individual versus acting as a citizen and his wish for people to be more of that citizen role, right? And to be a citizen, there's a certain degree of obedience. And I do think that there's this like large movement of like individualism, individualism right? And it's yeah. about me, my, and I. Mm. And I find myself taking pause before there's some sharing that's going to occur and thinking, okay, is this an act as an individual or is this an act as a citizen? Sometimes mm. it looks exactly the same, but sometimes it changes. Um, because again, you know, I, I, I wish for there to be more of that citizenry, you know, because I think that it goes hand in hand with empathy and compassion, you know, I am super happy you brought that back up. Cause I, I, it noted in my mind when you said it the first time a little while ago, and I completely forgot to, to ask you, mm -hmm. um, it really resonates with me because I got really interested in the work of Scott Barry Kaufman. Uh, he's super interesting uh, psychologist um, for his um, PhD, I believe um, he studied Maslow. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, maybe you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. And um, what Scott found was that it wasn't necessarily intended to be a, a hierarchy and self-actualization or individuation was not the um, pinnacle. Mm -hmm but self-transcendence was, which I think sits really beautifully into this idea of being a citizen potentially. But I, I'd like to get more clarity on that because I'm not quite sure. Well, it kind of turns it upside down. So right now I'm like holding my hands up to like make a pyramid, right? Mm. But it's actually might look more like this, mm. right? So I'm turning the pyramid upside down where it's like here when the pyramid's pointed up, it's almost like everything in like society and culture and relationships and blah, 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 blah are there to feed the individual at the top when it might actually look a little more like the upside down pyramid where mm. the individual is here to feed the family and feed the culture and feed the society and everything and play this role in like the, mm. and in nature and in the world in this like bigger giant organism. But I think that we exist often exist in this space where it's all about the, the pyramid being a yeah. traditional pyramid yeah. and that. That's, I, that's when I think how I, and I, I mean, I wrote a piece where I kind of challenged this a bit in, in, in movement culture as well, where it seemed that it was like a culture built to sustain and support movement as opposed to like, well, what does it look like if movement 
is on the bottom and it's here to play its role in feeding and supporting culture. That's, that's beautiful. I really like that. I I never thought about it as the inverse pyramid. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of always got a bit turned off by the pyramid because it kind of gamifies and, and almost like, um, gives specific levels that you have to almost complete to move to the next one, which is such nonsense. Yeah. Um, I, I really like the way that Scott framed it. He shares it as a sailboat. Mm-hmm. And he talks about it almost in two halves, the top half and the bottom half. Mm-hmm. And you kind of have the bottom half sustaining the top half. Yeah. And it has to stay in constant synergy. You can't only have a strong hull with no sail to blow you across the ocean or to, um, let's say, a strong hull to withstand the storm of the and the chaos of life if, if life is the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can't just have a sail if you've got holes in your hull, you know? Mm-hmm. And in the hull, he has things like um, safety mm-hmm. and connection to others. And then in the sail, he has things like love and exploration. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you can't venture out until you uh, maybe venture in. Maybe that's something I'm just saying because I'm on a podcast. But <laughs> <laughs> That would be the quote. That'd be the part that I would peel out and be like, oh, you like spit that out there in an audio yeah, clip. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, I'm really bastardizing what he did because it's very beautiful. I, I highly recommend anyone listening to type in sailboat analogy, Scott Barry Kaufman. Um, but I think it fits really wonderfully into the idea of kind of being a citizen because once you have this synergy of kind of the base of the hull and the, the top of the, um, the sail, let's say, mm-hmm. you're then able to set sail and transcend yourself and to support others. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really love the idea of, 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 of like giving meaning to someone's existence is to almost like give back to those around you. Mm-hmm. If that's what self-transcendence could be. Well, and I would take it a step further and, and say, I think, you know, we're so limited and, and I catch myself doing it language wise too, a lot, you know, that we're like limited to like me myself and maybe others and that's like the other people and maybe even then it's like almost limited to just like the people who are closest to me but it's like you know what does it mean to be a citizen not just to like the people closest to me or my country or to the entire world of people but also like a citizen to the entire natural world, you know, like what, Mm. what is my, how do I, how do I participate in that? And like, you know, I'm, I'm by no means the best example. You know, I don't hunt for my food. I don't build my shelter. Like, you know, there are plenty of things that I do that are, you know, of the unique, like human privilege, but I wonder about these things. And I also then wonder like, how can we expect any of us to like develop that, that relationship as a citizen on the real big thing, like in, mm-hmm. in terms of like some level of interconnectedness mm-hmm. and transcendence, when we have such a, a limited relationship with things that are outside of like our, our 10 foot bubble, you know? Right, right. This is kind of the reason why I've been sharing these like weird hearts on my story that I just kind of see. Mm-hmm. Because it, I really feel like it's the small things that make just a big difference and how mm-hmm. you interact in the small ways. Mm-hmm. 
And I feel like it's the ripple effect of small things that make the bigger changes rather than someone going, I'm going to change the world and uh, going to try and change the world. Because yes, there's some amazing people that, that change the world in some regard, but I don't think that's the case for every one of us. And, and, and it's almost overwhelming to put the pressure on someone mm-hmm. um, to, to think about change on, on, a, on a big format or, or like... Um, trying to help the environment on a mass scale mm-hmm. and i think more importantly for, for me and, and my and how i work let's say it's like engaging in those small things and allowing those small things to brighten up my internal world mm-hmm. and maybe if i'm having a down day or i've had some bad news or having some troubles or whatever it might be and i just see something beautiful it might be a sunset or it might be something that looks like the heart that's actually just chewing them on the floor. That's a really wonderful interaction that then maybe in the next moment or that later on that day, I might interact with someone and rather being in that kind of down sad state, I might be in that kind of a little bit more uplifted state and be like, ah, and then through that interaction, it might've been a more positive interaction. And that just proliferates and almost like picks up momentum. And I think, for me in life, I really notice whenever we hit, or whenever, sorry, I hit a low point, it's because the momentum I curate over these small moments gets lost or like crushed in, in a big blow. And it just takes me a bit of time to nudge myself via these small moments to get myself rolling again. Mm-hmm. And I think then um, like having this momentum carrying me lifts the pressure of life Mm-hmm. Uh, for example to put this into context maybe even more clearly for, for the listeners it's like how if you're a beginner and someone says to you you have to get up every day in the morning and you have to go to practice and you have to do that for the rest of your existence it's super overwhelming but just doing a small thing like trying to do it twice a week let's say for half an hour or just get the ball rolling and slowly 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 that momentum kind of picks up and carries you mm-hmm that's then maybe going to be a skeleton key into such something wonderful that you find out in a few years down the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe you do change your own world, but I think it starts first and foremost with those small things. Listen, I mean, I'm right now at my aunt's house in, in Florida and we're, this is where we're staying for a few months and we're on a lake and mm. I stand out on the, the, the dock a lot, like doing some things. And, you know, you watch like all these, like, waves kind of roll in and sometimes the waves are like from wind but a lot of times the waves are like from a boat in a distance that you can't even see and there are these like ripples that come like rippling all the way in and they get smaller and smaller and smaller but like every single wave moves a little bit of like sand on the shore (laughs) right it doesn't you know like even like the tiniest little kind of like move in something moves right so you know speaking to your point of like, even like the littlest thing like has like a ripple to somewhere, you know, it doesn't always need to be uh, a monsoon, right? It can be like the littlest of ripples because they, it always goes somewhere. And then sometimes I'll be sitting out there and I'll see like a ripple coming in and then I will see another boat, right? And then they'll make a wake and then like the ripple crosses the boat's wake. And then there's this like interaction that turns into this like whole other wave that also like moves sand, you know? 
And it's like, it's this beautiful thing. And it's so easy to be like, oh, well, yeah, Kyle, but that's just like water. But like, that really is to me, like what life is like. It is like, we carry a piece of every little thing we witness, feel, participate in, and it adds to our thing or chain. It makes me turn left instead of turning right in a moment. Like, yeah. it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's magical, you know, and, and we, we shouldn't be afraid or think that like our impact is going to be too small to like express something that, that might be of value, especially when it's like, when it's, when it's con concepts, like the, the things like we're talking about, like compassion, you know, that are, mm -hmm. that are really worth being like, let me, yeah. whatever, one person it's, it's, it's a special yeah. thing, you know? I feel it. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is just to reference Jordan Peterson one last time. He says, what, you're, you're one person away from a thousand and two people away from a billion, uh, a billion. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Something like this. Mm -hmm. But I think, yeah, the, the, the ripples are there for sure. And um, yeah, man, I, I'm, I really need a wee. So uh, mm -hmm. shall we pause or shall we? Uh... You know what? We should, <laughs> we should call it there. Yeah. Because, because. I had to pause for a second. When you, when you said what you said there, I was like, wait, what's he talking about? Cause that's like, not what I would know. How, 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 you know, it's like a, like a small, like translation moment. Um, but I think we should call it there because yeah. this is like, I think, I think we've like said what should be said today. Um, but I'm also, you know, I'm going to be in Europe in the fall and I would, uh, I think we should like try to find a way to, to meet up and get together. Let's do it. I'd love to. Yeah. When exactly? Well, well I, I, not, not now when it's recording. You can tell me after if you want. Um, we can cut it out. <laughs> uh, no, no, I'll put it in because okay. right now we're talking about uh, doing some events in, uh, in Europe. Yes. So I think we'll do one in Lisbon. I think we'll end up doing one. I, it's so funny. I say this and then all of a sudden like nothing could happen and people are like, I thought you were going to yeah. be in Europe. Uh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, but I think we'll be doing one in Barcelona um and and milan and then potentially some in between and then it, we'll start it by i'm going to go to tom's event in toulouse mm. so there and then kind of like through all the oh, places man. but i mean like pretty much september we're kind of like bouncing around so maybe we'll find a way to to get over to london yeah, i have no idea what what we're allowed to do with like uh covid and things like that but we will mm -hmm. we should try to make it happen yeah, I'm teaching in Italy actually in early October. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm quite busy in August, but September actually, um, Tom, I'm hosting Tom in London. Mm -hmm. in, oh, no, that's August. No, I'm, I'm actually, September could, could be interesting. Hey, well, who knows? Maybe we like uh, drag the, the London movement group out to the park and like do, <laughs> some, do some play or something. They'll be there, don't worry. They're already in the park. <laughs> oh, perfect. Cool. Well, then they, they're yeah. already, they're, they've already made it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If people want to, awesome, if people want to connect with you, like, what's uh, what's the best way? Good question. Um, I really liked. I don't know who it was. I think it was one of your guests. They just said, if they want to find me, they'll find me. And yeah. I thought that was super cool. Yeah, I don't know who it was, but it was great. Um, figuring things out. And my name is Will Brown with one L. You'll find it. Okay, beautiful, <laughs> man. This was. I just have to say, like. You know, I think when we said at the beginning that we logged on, we we're like, oh, like we both felt like, oh, this is like something. I feel to me, I'm like, 
not let down at all. This was like beautiful. Thank you. The the feeling is very much mutual. I uh, I definitely felt super calm and, and and warm straight away, and it was it was great. It really opened up the space to to be free. Amazing. Well, I really cannot wait to connect in person. It's going to be really fun. Me too, man. Thank you so much, Carl. All right. Good night. Good night, buddy. <laughs> Have a great day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>